podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Some of the topics are addiction, fear, faith, self-compassion, relationships, codependency, emotional intelligence, and more. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Valeria Telles, and I'm having a conversation today with Heather Paris about finding meaning in suffering. Heather is a certified family life coach, a strategic interventionist, marriage educator, yogi, certified breathwork practitioner, and neurolinguistic programmer. She's on a mission to increase emotional intelligence and resiliency. Heather Paris also serves on the Cayuga County Mental Health Board in the Cayuga County Drug and Alcohol Community Collision in New York State. Heather recently opened the Live Inspired Now Life Coach School and is training and certifying people to become life coaches and join her mission to increase emotional intelligence. Here is the interview with Heather Harris. Welcome, Heather, and thank you for having this well-being conversation with me today. Thank you. Oh, my gosh, I'm very excited. In your own words, who is Heather Paris? In my own words, oh, goodness, I am my kid's mom. So (laughs) I am also a lot of other people's moms. So I think that's probably the thing that I identify with most is as a mom. And I mean, I, you know, you'll read my bio all do all these other things, but really I'm, I'm a mother. I'm a mother to my kids, to my stepkids, to a bunch of extra bonus kids that mm-hmm. we've given, um, you know, a place in our heart and our home to. So I'd say that's who I am. I, you know, I used to think that I was a fixer and wanted to fix and save the world, but then I quickly realized that all I have to do is just do my best to take care of myself and my family. And that kind of ripples out and resonates across the the masses, so to speak. So, you know, I, I think that I just try to be an inspiration to everybody as a mom and just doing the best that I can. That's wonderful. Thank you. I make suffering noble by looking at it as a source of wisdom. 
How many millions of people suffer every day without any meaningful knowledge gained as a result? Knowledge gained without any suffering seems perverse. It is the pure, cold rationality of the Western modern world that tells us it is somehow a virtue to know without caring that dispassion and indifference are signs of a mature objectivity. To lack suffering is to lack personal investment. Compassion means literally suffering with. This was part of a blog post by Morgan Gayton at pathews.com. What is your definition of suffering? Yeah, so for me, I really think suffering is about our belief, right? It's the pain that we have because we believe that we have no control over our life or our circumstances or our thoughts. That's what I believe suffering is. It's not just about physical pain. It's about believing that physical pain is the only choice we have. You know, pain is, uh, I think it was Tony Robbins or somebody said, pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. And it's true, pain, we'll always experience pain. You know, you fall down, you hurt your foot, you feel pain. But spending the next three months talking about that pain is suffering. And that, to me, that's optional. Like, you don't have to suffer everything. You can live with it, right? You live through it. You can experience it. There's so many different words that you can attribute besides suffering. I mean, suffering's a real thing. People really do suffer. But I just personally, for me, I really think it's the pain that comes from believing that you have no control. That is interesting. Yeah, I've heard that before. Pain and suffering, they are different. But what about the suffering or the pain that comes from feeling the condition of humanity, of others? Like, this will be my next question to you. How can we acknowledge other people's suffering, like suffering with them, but without making it our own to the point of disabling our ability to help them. Right, right. So I believe in inspiration. Parents come to me all the time because, you know, I'm a, I'm a family life coach. So I work with families and they always come to me and they say, my kid's not motivated. My kid's entitled. How can I motivate my kid? And I always tell them the same thing. You can't. You cannot motivate another person. And sometimes people think I'm a motivational speaker. I'm not. I'm, you know, if you want to call me an inspirational speaker, sure, I'm fine with that because you can't motivate other people. And just like you can't motivate them, you can't remove their suffering. You can't, you know, you can't make another person do another thing. So that's why I rely on inspiration. You can inspire people by handling your own suffering, quote unquote, suffering in a different way. So, for example, you know, if you, if you fall down, we'll just use a simple, super simple example. If you fall down in front of your kids as a mom and you lay there crying and writhing, now say, you, you know, you're, it hurts, absolutely, but you know the pain is temporary and it will pass, but you lay there for an hour crying and whimpering and limping and even after you're over it, telling everybody that story, you're teaching your children how to suffer. You're not teaching them how to endure pain, which is inevitable, and then move past it. And now that's not to say that now, you know, we just use that small example of falling down, but there are chronic things that happen to people that 
people experience pain, severe pain, every single day of their lives, that doesn't mean that they still have to suffer. You know, I mean, I have, I had a friend, she passed away from cancer and she never suffered from cancer a day in her life. It was her attitude. She experienced cancer. It was painful. She experienced pain, but she lived every single last day that she had with joy, with deep embracing joy for the time that she had left. And, and so I've seen people suffer. And I've seen people with the same type of ailments or pain not suffer. And so that's why I know that suffering is a choice. Pain, absolutely. I would never say that somebody isn't, you know, enduring pain or going through something exceptionally difficult. I have myself too. Um, but to suffer through it, that that's just not necessary. Absolutely. Motivation and encouragement. What would be the difference? Yeah, so so again, I don't believe that you can motivate another person. I believe that there's only self-motivation. So it's just like you can't give another person confidence. That's why the word is self-confidence. You know, I need self everyone says I need self-confidence. How do you get self-confidence? You can't magically make somebody think self-confidence into their brain. The only way to gain self-confidence is through experience. So if you want to get confident about speaking in front of people, there's nothing I can tell somebody that's going to magically make them feel confident. They just have to go out and speak in front of crowds. And the more they do it, the more confident they get. It's just like driving. The very first time you get behind the wheel, you're terrified, you're scared, you don't know what to do. And no matter how confident of a person you are or how much somebody tells you how to drive, you don't feel confident at it until you've done it. So now, like I'm 47, I jump in the car, I've been driving for, you know, 30 years. I get in the car, I don't even think twice. I just, I know to check my mirrors. I know to look left and right. I know to when to press the gas and the brake. But that was all so scary and so hard to do when I first started driving. It's the same thing with motivation. Motivation comes from self. You have to practice it. You have to get really good habits. So if you want to be more motivated to, for example, get up and and do your business every day, that doesn't come from some magical words that somebody's going to say. It comes from practice and good habits. So like for myself, for example, you know, I'm self-employed. So I get up every single morning and I do the same routine. Every single morning I have a wake up and shake up where I read some positive and inspirational books that I'm reading, and I do a little bit of exercise, I have my morning shake, and then I start prospecting and marketing every single solitary morning, and I've been doing that for 10 plus years, the same same basic routine. That's how you get motivation, you just keep doing it. You, you don't need motivation really as much as you need consistency. And then once you start experiencing some level of success at whatever it is that you're trying to do, then you start to feel more motivated. Like when I first learned to drive and I started getting good at it, then I was more motivated to drive places. Like I wasn't very motivated to drive to a city because I was scared. But as I got more comfortable doing it, then I was like, heck yeah, I'm totally motivated. I want to drive to the city. I want to drive to the next state. I want to drive to college. You know, all those places that seemed like it was really scary to drive in the beginning when you're brand new. That motivation comes from just from practicing and doing it. Yes. So basically, 
you cannot motivate somebody, but you can encourage and inspire them. Absolutely. Inspire and influence. Yep. Absolutely. Influence. Huh, that's the word that a lot of times for me comes across as manipulation. What is the difference between influencing people and manipulating them? Mm. I mean, manipulation is just straight up like trying to be, you know, deceitful or underhanded to try and get somebody to do something that you want. Whereas influencing, like you're not invested in the outcome. So I'm trying to influence good in the world, but you know what I mean? I'm not trying to manipulate it. So I'm not trying to convince people they have to or should do things. I'm just trying to influence change. That's all. If you love it, great. If you don't, that's fine too. So I think it's more about your intention, the intention behind it. Right. Yes. Something else that you mentioned that was interesting to me to hear, the combination of joy and pain, how is it possible? So I wake up every single day happy and joyful, just grateful to be alive. And I think that It has a lot to do with gratitude and what you focus on. You know, like I said, my friend who had cancer woke up every single day. And even though she was in pain and it was challenging and it was difficult, she woke up every single day like so grateful, like, oh my gosh, I get another day because her days were limited and she did pass. And so every single moment that she got to to still share her life with her husband and her kids and her friends, she was grateful for And so you can be joyous despite the challenges that you have. Yeah. So in a way, you are connecting joy with gratitude. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Because, you know, you can always look at the other side of it. You can always look for the misery. Like right now, today, if you ask one person, they'll say, yeah, there's wars going on. There's poverty. There's people dying. There's, you know, this terrible president or this terrible situation going on. And then you ask another person and they say, yeah, there's babies being born. The snow is melting. The sun is out. You know, somebody fell in love and got married. I know a girl that got a promotion at work. It's always there. The bad will always, always be there, but so will the good. So what are you going to choose to focus on? And it sounds so, to me, it sounds so simple because I've been doing this for so long, but it's not. People choose to look at all the negative things and so they feel bad. That's just like people choose to suffer despite, you know, pain. You're always going to have pain, but you don't have to suffer it. Yes. So what I feel is that people who choose to live a healthier, healthy life, in a way they become happier people too, because they will eat right, they will exercise, they will sleep, they'll get the proper sleep. So they will do everything that is sort of foundation for uh, happiness. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. It's just choosing to live your best life, you know, not settling for the word. I mean, we can all Every single person has the opportunity to pick up and have an avocado or a chocolate bar. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) And that's not to say that a chocolate (laughs) bar isn't good sometimes. I love chocolate, you know, (laughs) once in a while, that's fantastic. But, you know, it's finding the priorities in life. I'm going to prioritize my health. Once in a while, I'll prioritize the chocolate bar. But for the (laughs) most part, I'm going to prioritize the things that make me feel good, that make me feel appreciative, that make me feel joyous. 
that's not to say that I don't have a bad day. Of course I do. But even if I have a bad day, I still know. I still have a sense of overall well-being because I know it will pass. That's a wonderful attitude in life. Yeah. Why do you believe we should not say the words, I suffer from? That's how we connected. I wrote a blog post about that because I never, ever want to say something because we're cre- I believe we're creating our own reality. So I never want to say something that's going to create a bad situation for myself or worse situation for myself. So I think, you know, I had talked about in that article that I, it, you know, if you don't say I suffer from, say I live with or I experience or I'm a survivor of or something, you know, because your mind, your words tell your brain how to feel. So if you're constantly saying, I'm sick, I'm sick, I'm sick, you're going to feel crummy. If you're constantly saying, I'm suffering from, I suffer from whatever, you're going to suffer from it. You're going to feel bad. Like your mind feels like, okay, well, this is something that we have to feel bad from. So like, for example, myself, I was born with allergies and asthma. I lived in one of those tents, the bubbles, like for the first 13 or 14 months of my life because I was so sick and so allergic to everything around me. So right now, even today at 47, I still have, I still experience allergies and, and uh, asthma, but I don't suffer from it. I don't. I live with it. Sure. I have allergies and I have asthma and I have to take steps to prevent myself from having an allergy or an asthma attack. And it doesn't always work. Sometimes I'll get allergies and on those days I feel like crap, but that's okay. I know it'll pass and I just do the best that I can. So if somebody says, you know, you have allergies and asthma, yeah, yeah, I do. I don't suffer from it though. I live my my life very full and very happy despite it. Yeah, I like the way in that article you said, I live with suffering, not suffer from it. That is kind of interesting. My question on that would be, what is your experience with suffering? But I guess you just told me asthma and... Just like anybody, I'm 47. So of course I've lived with loss and grief. And, you know, the the woman that I'm telling you about was my very best friend. We were best friends for 30 years and she passed away from cancer. And, you know, I've lost many people in my life and, and it's terrible. It feels horrible, but I choose to redirect my focus and to be grateful for number one, grateful that I had people in my life enough to care about. You know, if you, if you've loved somebody and you've lost them and that pain that you feel after you've lost somebody, that's just love. That's just love, you know? That means that I was loved and I loved somebody and I'm grateful for the experience. So although it's hard, I do all of the things that I have to do to take care of myself, even more if I'm experiencing pain, but that's part of life. That's part of life and that's what makes life so exceptional because if we didn't have pain, we wouldn't be alive and that's not okay. I'd rather be a living. <laughs> so true, Heather. Yeah, Without pain, we wouldn't be here. Does the degree of suffering change if we choose to use different words for suffering? Absolutely. I think so. A hundred percent. If, you know, I, I don't say the words I'm suffering and so I don't suffer. Do I experience pain? Absolutely. Do I experience sadness? Absolutely. I do. But I experience them and I allow them to flow. 
life is part of like I believe life is is a flow. Sometimes you're up, sometimes you're down, sometimes you're happy, sometimes you're sad. That's part of the natural flow. When you try to control that by giving it a more intense meaning than it has to, you prolong your suffering. You prolong the unhappiness. You prolong the negative. So if you just allow things to flow in and flow out, like right now I'm experiencing joy. Right now I'm experiencing sadness. I know this will pass. You know, people like cling on to their suffering, like, oh, I I do suffer, but I do suffer, but it's my pain. Um, And people sometimes want to suffer because it gives them an excuse to not be accountable or to to blame other people or to self-medicate. You know, I've seen, I see people in my, in my private coaching practice all the time who are self-medicating versus taking care of themselves. And I don't think people realize what the difference is. You know, somebody will pick up a a bottle of wine and well, I'm self-care. That's not self-care, that's self-medicating. You know, self-care is doing things that build you up, that make you feel whole and complete and connect you with your source, whatever, if, you know, if it's your, if it's God for you or the universe or just nature, whatever it is, self-care is something that helps you remember how connected you are to the source of all things, because we are. And the further we get away from that, that's when we start to feel that pain. When it's connected to trying to release pain, relief pain. Um, you said something, there's something I wanted to uh, talk to you about. Would be complaining, complaining would be a sign that we are suffering? Exactly. That's the first part of the question. The second part is, how would, would we talk about pain without complaining? Yeah. Yeah. So the first part, it could be. So if you're just, you know, everybody needs to vent and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. You know, um, my husband and I do what we call a daily discharge. So we sit and we have a conversation and he just discharges everything that happened from his day, good, bad, whatever. And then I do the same and we just sit and listen and we share that space and we allow each other, you know, that sacred and safe space to just say whatever you want. So it's basically like you can vent, right? And complain if that's the word you want to use. And then after that, outside of that space, it would be complaining. Do you know what I mean? So talking to somebody and having a conversation about what you're experiencing is wonderful. Complaining is when you've talked and talked and talked, and now you're just going on and on and on, and you're choosing to connect with the pain. So if you're just getting it out and then you feel better, great. If you're continually talking about it or complaining about it, that's you connecting with pain. And you have to ask yourself, like, why are you doing that? Does it make you feel important? Is it getting you attention? Do you feel, you know what I mean? Like whatever you might be experiencing because you're connecting with that pain. Yeah. I would say to just take out any judgments of good and bad and then just speak to it. Like, so for example, you know, I bumped my toe. It hurt. It hurts a lot. And I could use some support right now. That's talking about pain, right? You know, then versus complaining or saying, you know, I hit my toe and it's the worst thing that's ever happened to me. And I don't think I'm going to be able to work or walk. And you're going to have to take care of me now for the rest of the week. And I mean, I think there's a difference, you know, do you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. I think just stating facts and not putting all of these judgments or needs or, you know, 
whatever on it is is just the best way. Just just describe it. And I think that the more honest you are about pain without adding the drama to it, the more people are actually going to listen to you. You know, I see people who try to cause, especially on social media, right? Try and create so much drama. It was the worst fracture that the doctors ever seen. Oh my gosh, I might have to be in a splint for the next four years. I might have to have surgery. You know, they go on and on and ruminate about this thing. And that's not to say that they didn't experience pain. Absolutely. But just stick with the facts. You know, why Why pour all the drama into it? And people get turned off by all that drama too. People are like, oh yeah, okay. Like, that's just what I want to hear. Let me guess, you hurt yourself again. We get it, right? Yeah. <laughs> Whereas if you're just like, yeah, this is what happened to me. People are like, oh, are you okay? Is there something I can do? Oh my goodness. And I've actually had people say, wow, I would have handled that way worse. I would have been a total drama queen about that. <laughs> and I have to laugh. Yes, I agree. But I think that a lot of people, they don't have the self-control, self-knowledge. Right. Still with that in mind, would you say the drama, the complaining in a negative way, are they connected to self-pity? To self-pity? I would, yeah, I would say so. I would say it's that whole victim mentality, you know, like poor me, what was me? You know, I have no control. And I think that's what, that's, you know, like your first question, what is suffering? To me, that's suffering to believe, to convince yourself that you have no control over your situation, over how you feel, over your thoughts or your behaviors. You know, you can't control other people, but you every day of the week can control yourself. You know, you can, even with pain. You know, like I said, my friend, she had cancer. She got up every single day, did the best she could. She didn't suffer. She lived in joy. You know, I mean, people think that they don't have a choice. You do, you have a choice. I also believe that for people who are conscious and aware, or maybe smart, uh, or maybe who have been brought up in a certain way, for them, they do have the choice of self-control, uh, having control over um, situations and circumstances. But right. uh, like dealing with addiction, and that is really, really hard for them, uh, self-control. I mean, there's no self-control at oh, all. Yeah. Right. I do, um, not personally, well, not myself, right? I'm not an addict, so I don't want to, you know, make anyone think that I am because I haven't experienced that on a personal level for myself. Um, but, you know, my ex-husband, my first husband was, uh, an al oh, still is, an alcoholic and a drug abuser. So, and I have worked with them in my, in my private coaching practice. So, you know, I have a special place in my heart for anyone that is struggling with addiction because I, I know how hard it can be, but it, it can also be like, you're strong, you're very strong and you can do hard things. You know, people do hard and difficult things all the time and they forget that they have that ability. And so is it going to be easy? No, it's going to be hard as heck. Can you do it? Yes. Yes, you can. And you need support. You need connection. You need to understand how to meet your needs in a in a safer and healthier way, because you know addiction people are just trying to meet their needs. You know they're trying to feel better, so they self medicate with drugs or alcohol, or they're trying to you know feel great. They you know they live this complacent life that's maybe boring, and so they try drugs or alcohol to to feel excited or whatever. 
um, you can learn how to have those same feelings without the substances. And so that's, you know, I work with a lot of people in my private practice doing that, just teaching them. And I'm not a drug and alcohol counselor, but I have worked with addicts in conjunction with their therapists. Um, and then I teach them how to meet their needs in healthier ways because that's all they're doing. They're just trying to meet their own needs and they've learned to do it and gotten into the habit of doing it in an unhealthy way. Would you say uh, psychological needs or uh, spiritual needs? I would say both. Absolutely. Yeah. Psychological needs as well as spiritual. You know, people forget, and I, I mean, I don't know what your beliefs are or anyone listening, what their beliefs are, but myself personally, I believe that there is a greater source of all things. If you want to call it God or source or energy, that's fine. What Call it whatever you want. But there is something that's bigger than humans. And so I believe that we are deeply, deeply connected to that source of all things, but we forget that. We forget that we have something inside of us that is deep and connected and peaceful and joyous and loving and compassionate and kind. And we just, you know, we serve our our physical needs, our human needs more than we serve our spiritual needs. And I think that if people would just show up to their spiritual needs, and that doesn't mean you have to go to church or sit in it, and it doesn't mean you have to have some traditional practice even. Just understand that you are a spiritual person entity that's right now experiencing a human body. And if you get to that level, then yeah, your your experiences are going to be deeper and you realize like you don't have to service every human need that you have. Uh, right. Interesting. I try to understand more uh, this connection experience of being connected with God or divine force, source. How do you stay connected with that divine force? Myself, I stay connected through um, meditation and through yoga and through walks outside in nature and quiet. You know, I would say if anyone wants to just, you know, dip their pinky toe in to spiritualness in the smallest way possible, just sit in absolute silence for five, start with five minutes, not meditating, not contemplating, just sitting in silence because most people are so uncomfortable with silence because they don't know what's there. They feel like everything has to be full. Like I have to fill the silence. I have to fill my house with junk. I have to fill my kids' schedules with busyness. I have to fill my schedule with appointments and they're just go, go, go. Just spend five minutes in the morning dead silence, not looking at anything, not reading anything, just sitting there. That's, I think, the easiest way to start to get into it. But, you know, that's that's just some of the things that I do. I meditate, I do yoga, I pray, I have a morning practice, you know, all of those things help me stay deeply connected. I think the biggest thing that I do is I serve. I serve others because that reminds me what my passion and purpose is. And I believe that my purpose and everyone's purpose really is to come to this earth to experience, to experience it fully. And I want to experience it in, in a way where I'm serving others and helping others. So I serve. I like that, Heather. I like what you said about silence, that most of us are just so addicted to thinking all the time and following thoughts mm-hmm. that we don't 
find this space within us that's quiet and peaceful and perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I also like a lot what you said, which is uh, I deeply believe in is connecting and helping others, mm-hmm. being compassionate. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To live is to suffer. To survive is to find some meaning in the suffering. Uh, Frederick Nietzsche said that. Mm-hmm. Why can most of us find meaning in suffering? Why can't we? Yeah, I don't know. Why can't people find meaning in suffering? Because it's it's easier to complain. <laughs> it's really, it's just easy. There's so many... There's so many distractions. You don't have people don't have to find the meaning in suffering. You know, I, one of my favorite books is *Man's Search for Meaning* by Viktor Frankl. And I don't have you read that book? I'm reading now. <laughs> I started. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, it's so good. So in that book, um, you know, he's in a concentration camp and he's just enduring what most people would call true suffering, right? The worst of the worst conditions and grief and loss and and filth and, you know, despair everywhere. And yet he was able to find a deep, deep connection and meaning with that experience. And so, and that's what I believe. And why, why could he, I, in, in a concentration camp, when people, he could find it in a concentration camp in the most abysmal of circumstances. And people today in 2019, with every luxury at your fingertips, phones, computers, like cars, everything you can imagine, plenty of food to eat, even poverty stricken people have more than Viktor Frankl had in that concentration camp. And yet people can't find what makes them happy. Why? Because it's easier to do everything else. It's easier to pick up your phone and be distracted. It's easier to, you know, go on the internet and look at something that's harmful to you or to watch a gory movie or to drink alcohol or to take drugs or to drive your car too fast and be destructive. Destructive opportunities are absolutely everywhere and nobody stops and says, hey, by the way, I see you've gone through a really challenging situation. Why don't you take a few days and just think about what the lesson might be from that? Like, nobody says that. And this is the type of thing that we should be teaching our kids. I teach my kids. I I get my clients to talk to their kids about that, about finding the meaning in things instead of just bouncing from one thing to the next to actually take a moment and think about it. Like even after this podcast, you know, I'm going to sit in silence for a little bit and think about how I think it went. I'll think, I mean, I'll go over something. I'll, you know, I'll beat myself up a little and say, oh, you should have said this or that, you know, and I'll allow myself to, to experience that for a little bit, but I'll think about it. And I'll process it. And people just don't process anything. They're just trying to always make themselves feel better. That's what Mm -hmm. it is. That's, I mean, that's the key point. Everyone just wants to make themselves feel better instantly. But feeling good is not what life is all about. It's not about being happy. It's about experiencing life fully. And the fullness of life only happens if you experience the lows and the pain as well. That is so true. Most of us are just trying to suppress the symptoms of Mm -hmm. whatever is rooted inside of us, of what is actually real. That's Mm -hmm. reality. Life's not easy. Why don't we accept that? It's not easy. 
it's tough and we have to tough we have to get tough not right not in a right. um, harsh yeah. way, because I believe also in kindness, just being kind to yourself. Right. No, yes. but in a realistic way, because life is sometimes hard, and that's okay. We can do hard things. Yeah. You wrote on your website, a self-centered attitude leads to loneliness, fear, anger, depression. Self-centeredness is the source of suffering. Mm-hmm. So my question to you is, would you say that connecting and helping others are antidotes for suffering? One million billion percent. Yes. Um, So I, you know, I have a life coach training school and I require every one of my students that I certify, I require them to do community service. And we only ask that they do one hour a a month, which is nothing. You know what I mean? It's absolutely nothing. But some people who have never volunteered or served or done anything like that, you know, an hour is like, oh boy, what am I going to do? And they, you know, aren't, aren't sure. But every single one of my students always has, and every, literally every one of them, 100% of them has gone well above and beyond the one hour per month. In fact, one of my students, she started volunteering at a place and she ended up getting a full-time position. They made her like, you know, a director of the place. And so amazing things have come out of my students volunteering. And so I've been volunteering literally since I was a kid. You know, my parents used to volunteer and do things and they took us with them. And every time I have uh, parents that come into my office for coaching, I That's one of the first questions that I'll always ask people. Where do you volunteer? And half of the people look at me like I'm crazy. Like, what do you mean? I didn't talk about volunteering. I'm like, well, so where do you volunteer? And if they say I don't, I said, all right, well, you need to pick someplace right now. And I actually keep a sheet in my office of ways people can volunteer, you know, different organizations, different things they can do. And I'll say, here's a list. You can do whatever you want, pick whatever you want, or choose something else. I don't care if it's going next door and mowing your elderly neighbor's lawn, but do something. Because yeah, that 1 million percent will improve the quality of your life. If you stop focusing on yourself and your pain, and you start focusing on how you can serve and help. And that's not at the expense of your own self-care, but outside of that. So, you know, the metaphor that I like to say is fill up your own cup, but then give everything else that flows over to everyone else. So, yeah. What would you say to people who feel they can't help others because they need help themselves? Okay, I'm going to read this to you. If you want to master something, teach it. I have that on my desk and I keep that there all the time Mm. Um, because if you want to get, if you want to get better, help other people because you'll hold yourself to a higher standard if you know people are counting on you than you will if you try to go it yourself. And that's what I tell, you know, that's one of the questions that every single one of my students asks. How can I start coaching now? I just, you know, I'm only like two months into the training. I'm like, that's exactly how you just start. You get started, you help others, you focus on serving and helping them, and you're going to learn as you go, and you're going to get great at it, and you're going to help so many people, and you're going to grow yourself. You're going to master it. So yeah, 100%. Get out there and do it. It doesn't matter. You don't have to have everything. You don't have to know everything. You just have to be willing to go and take action. I think one of the challenges that we live um, in societies, not just the United States, Mm -hmm. but that are narcissistic. 
Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah, I think so. I mean, true narcissism. I mean, it's, you know, I don't think that people who like to take selfies are narcissists. You know what I mean? I think that they like to take pictures of themselves and that's totally fine. We're not talking about that kind of stuff, but true narcissism where people only care about themselves and they have little empathy or compassion for anyone else. Yeah, that's going to be a real challenge because you have to, I mean, life is really about experience, experiencing life's fullness. And you can't experience it if you only experience it through the lens of what you want and need. You have to be concerned with what other people need as well. Yes, I like the idea that life is the experience of connecting deeper Mm -hmm. within yourself and others. That's what really makes it uh, beautiful and worth it. Mm -hmm. As of today, what are three things about life you know for sure? Oh, goodness. Um, Well, definitely to serve, right? That's number one. Number one, definitely, without a doubt. If you want to be happy, serve others. If you've ever volunteered, you go somewhere and you're like feeding meals to homeless people. At the end of it, you feel awesome. Like you want to go tell the world, I just fed like 40 people and you just feel so good. It's like this natural high. So if you if you help and serve other people, you will feel great. That's number one. Number two, nobody wants to suffer. Like suffering happens because it's a choice. You know, people don't realize that they have a choice. You don't have to suffer. No matter how bad your circumstances are, you don't have to suffer. Right. So that's number two. And I guess number three would be, you know, to to look for inspiration and be inspiration, you know, and, and not to think that you have to be fearless too. Like a lot of people say to me, oh, you're fearless. You'll do, you've done so much and you'll do so much. Um, you're not afraid of anything. And I always say, I'm a, yes, I, I'm afraid of everything. Are you kidding me? I'm afraid of, I can give you a list, like two pages long of things that I'm afraid of. I just do it anyway, because I know I can do scary things. I can do hard things. I can do scary things. And that's not to say it's easy, but I can do it. So I would say that you don't have to be fearless to live an inspired life. You just have to be willing to do things that you're afraid of. Right. Go beyond fear. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, people always like, how do I get over my fear? Well, don't get over it. Don't even try to get over it. Just do it anyway. You know? Thank you so much, Heather. Um, Where can we find more information about you, your work, products, services, future projects? Sure. Yeah, everything is right on my website. And, um, you know, I have a book which is available on my website. It's also on Amazon. But if you go to liveinspirednow.com, everything is right there. So wonderful. Thank you so much for this conversation. Oh, thank you. It has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you, Heather. for listening. To learn more about Heather Paris, please visit her website, liveinspirednow.com. To learn about future conversations, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. This podcast has been supported by the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath and Mark Basden. With gratitude and appreciation, I thank them for their much-needed contribution and collaboration to this platform. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now.